Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. This message is from a midweek service with Pastor Isaac Roman, and the message he's entitled, Where Are You? Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount, and then check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. Well, if God's been good to you, why don't you give God a big praise? Come on. All right, I, I heard a few of you. We appreciate, we appreciate our worship team. How many of you appreciate our worship team? I do want to honor our Restoration Life Church worship team as well. Uh, we appreciate you being with us and blessing us and imparting what God has put in you uh, here into this house. So we honor you. We honor your pastors as well uh, for releasing you as well. But uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, I'm excited for tonight. I'm, I'm a, uh, I believe that God has put a message in my spirit that I've been wrestling with. And uh, uh, you know how this goes. You know, God, uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to you as an individual before you go and minister it. So you got you to gotta marinate on it. You got to deal with some things. Uh, but I believe that, that God is going to help us uh, tonight. Before I go any further, I do want to honor uh, my spiritual parents, uh, my spiritual father and mother, our senior pastors, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. We love you guys. Uh, I just, I, 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 I've, run, I've run out of adjectives to, uh, to describe how awesome you guys are, but we appreciate uh, you guys. We appreciate your consistency. We appreciate your love. We appreciate uh, your trust, right? Your trust and allowing us, uh, and it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to serve our pastors, me and my wife, to serve as assistant pastors to such awesome people. So God bless you. We love you guys so much. I, I could never give more, enough honor uh, to the man and woman of God that God's put in my life. Uh, but we appreciate you so much. Uh, I, I want to minister tonight on, on and I'm going to stay in theme. I'm going to stay aligned with the house tonight. I'm going to stay in theme on these questions uh, that Jesus asked. Now, tonight I'm not necessarily talking about a question specifically that Jesus asked, but I am, uh, I am going to minister on a question that God asked. As a matter of fact, it's the very first question that God ever asked in the Bible. And the title of my message tonight is, Where Are You? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Where Are You? Come on, turn to your other neighbor. Turn to your second choice. Come on. Where are you? All right. They weren't your second choice. Well, listen, I want, you, I want us all to understand, and I know this may be, uh, this may be elementary for us, but uh, sometimes, we, sometimes we need to be reminded. But each and every one of us, we're living in the spiritual world. And as we're living in the spiritual wor- world, we are warring in spirit, in principalities. And so Satan, our enemy, your enemy, yes, there is a devil, there's a Satan, okay? This enemy has been released and has been causing havoc and ravaging uh, against uh, humanity from beginning of time. And uh, so much so that Jesus told Peter this, he said that Satan has demanded to have all of you to sift like wheat. Now think about this real quick. To sift wheat, I I watched a YouTube video, okay? So I'm not going to bore you with it. But to sift like wheat is to cut down. Wheat is like tall stalks, right? And so they'll come and they'll cut it down and they'll put it in a shredder. Once they put it in a shredder, they put it in a a box and they begin to shake it until it's pulverized. And I want to tell you tonight that Satan wants to pulverize you. It's not good enough that Satan would just uh, kind of set you off course or anything like that. Satan wants to completely and utterly obliterate and destroy you, your family, and generations to come. 
I hope I'm, I hope I'm calling you to action tonight. And so Satan's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And again, if, if you're a believer in the house, uh, you have a real enemy. And uh, the Bible says that he, he walks around this world uh, roaring like a lion and seeking who he can uh, destroy. So uh, I want us to understand that and I want to really build that context uh, before I get into my message. I want to read uh, the, the main text of my message tonight. And this is out of Genesis 3, uh, 6 through 15. And bear with me, there's, there's, some, there's some scripture here, but I want to read through this and then we'll, we'll kind of get into it. So the Bible says the woman was convinced. So she's convinced of what? That it was good to eat the fruit. Uh, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord, uh, the Lord uh, God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Question mark. The man replied, I was with the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, to the serpent because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Pray with me. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God. Lord, I thank you, God, even for this moment. I thank you for the people of God that are here. And, Father, I pray, Lord, tonight that we're not looking for inspiration. We're not looking for motivation. We're not looking for information. But, Father, I pray, Lord, that we'd be transformed by your truth. Father, I declare my uttermost dependence upon you and your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you'd anoint this time, Father. I pray that you'd open up eyes, open up ears, God, to hear your word. In Jesus' name, the church of God said amen. Amen and amen. All right. Well, thank you, brother. Well, give him a hand. Yes. Someone. Hey, no golf claps here. Come on. Come on. Let him know. All right. Well, listen, every single believer, think about this. Every single believer, every single believer has been called to be a spiritual watchman in your life. And I look at Adam and I realize that Adam was, uh, Adam was given all authority to subdue all the earth. And, uh, I see how he failed in this, in his, in his role here. And so, uh, for each and every one of us, we, we're called to be watchmen on the walls of our families. We're called to be watchmen, uh, in the walls of our church or even in our cities. We're called to be a watchman over, uh, maybe even some of us over the walls of our nation. I, I'm so, uh, honored and privileged to be able to be with, uh, the Paramount City pastors tomorrow as we, uh, as we observe the National Day of 
of prayer, and we're going to be praying for our city. We're going to be praying for our state. We're going to be praying for our nation tomorrow. And listen, this is not just for pastors. This is not just for leaders. This is not just for those with like the super spiritual anointing. This is for every single believer in the house. You've been called to be a watchman. And so watchmen in the Bible were guards responsible for protecting towns and military installations from surprise enemy attacks and other dangers. And so the ancient Israelite cities often stationed watchmen on high walls or watchtowers, and their job was to keep watch and warn residents of approaching threats. I came across this article and I was, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about really what the Holy Spirit was depositing in me. And I found this article about uh, this army private first class. And I'm not a serviceman and I, I do honor and thank any servicemen that are in the house. Uh, but I, 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 didn't know who, I didn't know what this rank was, so I had to go and look it up. And I went and looked it up and, and this is the third lowest rank in the army. Uh, the, the army private first class is the third lowest rank in the army. And I thought about that and I thought, uh, even, even the guy that's really, really low on the totem pole carries some responsibility. And so some of us sometimes we're sitting in a church and we're saying, well, I don't really do much. I, uh, you know, I don't really know much. I don't know. I don't know enough. And so maybe I'm not going to be held responsible, uh, for what God has put in my, in my life. So the, this article, it says that, uh, this, that this gentleman walked off his post in, Af- in Afghanistan on June 30th, 2009. The article goes on to say that he was immediately captured and held by the Taliban until his release on May 31st, 2014. Soldiers in his platoon said his equipment was found neatly stacked and his compass was missing. A member of the platoon said this. He said he knowingly deserted and put thousands of people in danger because of what he did. We swore to an oath and we upheld ours and he did not. I think about this and I think about this low rank officer with not a whole lot of responsibility, not a whole, people weren't thinking, uh, people weren't expecting a whole lot of this, this person, but because he abandoned his post, he put thousands at risk. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us have abandoned our post uh, as watchmen over our families, as watchmen over our households, as watchmen over our marriages, as, wa- as watchmen over our children. And so Pastor, Pastor Omar often reminds us that, uh, that we're to live by our commitments and not our emotions. Sometimes I'm not feeling it. How many of you are out there? Sometimes, sometimes I'm not feeling it. Sometimes I don't have the energy to pray. Sometimes I don't have the energy to read my word. Sometimes I don't have the energy to, to do whatever it is that I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me. But we don't, we don't uh, operate off of our emotions or how we're feeling, but we operate by our commitments. And so listen, this young man... This young officer, he had allowed a foreign ideology to infiltrate his mind. And then once it got into his mind, it got into his heart, and it diverted him from the mission or the cause. I wonder how many of us, uh uh-oh, my iPad just, okay, here we go. I wonder how many of us 
have allowed this foreign ideology. Now, when I say foreign, I want to pref- I want to make make sure I'm clear here. I'm not talking about uh, like an Eastern uh, Eastern foreign philosophy or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. What what I am talking about is something that's foreign to you. We're citizens of heaven, and so we have a culture, we have a standard, we have a, we we have a principle, we have a we have all these things. But this young man had allowed this foreign ideology to set him off course. This foreign culture to ensnare uh, our homes or maybe even our lives just like Adam did. If you go back and you read, you, you understand why was Adam even close to that tree? God had told him not to be there. Why, why, why was he following Eve next to that tree? And so it's this foreign ideology, it's this foreign culture that he allowed to come into his life. And I think many of us uh, potentially could be, uh, could be at fault of this. Now, as you look at cultures, I thought that it was interesting that if you look at cultures, cultures are, are made up of ideologies, obviously, or customs, arts, or, or the arts. So that's books and music and language. And, and all that kind of stuff. And I wonder how many of us are allowing uh, this foreign culture, this worldly culture to infiltrate our homes. Uh, the, this, the, the music, the books, the arts. I, I'm, I, I've said this before from this pulpit that uh, there, there was a time in, in my life that I was asleep at the wheel, so to speak. And I began to allow things into my life or things into my home that was a foreign ideology. It was a foreign culture. And I I, be, I began to allow these symbols and these 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 these, these books and, and this music and this whole subculture into my home while I was asleep at the will. And it began to ensnare and it began to rip and it began to tear my home apart. We have to be diligent. We have to be vigilant as to what's going on. I'm talking to parents tonight. I'm talking to parents right now. You better watch what's going on. Some of you guys got that. You can't be passive, guys. You... So the Hebrew word translated watchman means one who looks out or one who spies or one who watches. So sometimes watchmen were scouts who looked out for approaching friends as well as enemies. The Bible also refers to watchmen in a spiritual sense. God appointed prophets as spiritual watchmen over the souls of his people. Ezekiel 33, 7. This is very, very familiar. Uh, the Bible says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. And so Israel's spiritual watchmen, they carried a heavy, heavy responsibility. And if a prophet, listen to this in the ancient time, if a prophet failed to warn others as God had appointed him to do, his own life was in danger. The Bible says in Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel 33, 2 through 6, it says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, he sees the sword coming against the land and he blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. But if they, if they heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. And so they carried this, this heavy burden that they had to say it. They had to, they, they had to alert the people. 
people of, uh, of danger approaching in the Old Testament. See, this role of a spiritual watchman, it continues into the New Testament. And in the form of church leaders, the Bible says in Hebrews that we are to obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I'm going to talk to the rebellious disciple here tonight. Uh, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Why is that? Because they want to control me. Why is that? Because they're, they're, they're just control freaks. No. Their work is to watch over your souls. They are accountable to God over your soul. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And so here's this watchman as he's evolved throughout the scripture and, and really even stepped into this modern church life that we see. And in another sense, God calls not just leaders, but all of us to be watchmen. We all know that Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you guys have, have, have been motivated in a moment and, and said, okay, I'm going to start fasting once a week. I'm going to start, I'm going to get up at four in the morning and I'm going to call on God, right? How many of you guys? All right. Okay. Me too. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? When, when the Holy Spirit wakes you up and starts, nu starts nudging you to get out of bed, you're just like, oh my goodness, well, I got this to do, I got that to do, I have all of these other things to do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The, but Jesus told us that we have to watch and pray so that we won't fall into temptation. Listen, we should all be ready. We should all be on guard. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. My uh, my my father-in-law, uh, my my father-in-law, my wife's uh, uh, my wife's dad. Uh, he he. Um, so I used to wear sandals a lot, and uh, uh, and like wherever I'm going, if I'm going to the store, I just wear sandals. And uh, I heard that there's this thing in his home that uh, he never wanted the kids to leave out of the house without shoes. And when you and when you left out of the house with shoes, they had to be tied real tight. And I I said, well, why is that? And and uh, uh, the reason behind it was because you never knew when you were going to have to fight. And I thought, my goodness, that's, my goodness, okay, I like that. And so it's the same way as a Christian. It's, a, it's the same way as a Christian. You're walking out in, in flip-flops. But we got to be ready. We got to be ready. The Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says, yeah, no, he was conditioned. The Bible says in Luke 12, 35 through 40, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on, on them. I'll, I'll stop right there. But this is, this is the thought about us being prepared at all times, being prayed up, being walking in the spirit. I, I appreciate, uh, I, I read uh, one of Diga's books years ago, uh, or a few years ago, uh, Carriers of the Glory. And I'm going to be honest, that really kind of changed something in me, is that we could walk into a situation, we could walk out of our door and establish the dominion of God. We could walk into our, our workplace and establish the, the dominion of God. We can walk in this authority, this spiritual authority that God has given us, that Jesus has given us, and we can establish this dominion and we could be ready at all times and ready for warfare. 
So two things that the, that the watchman is responsible for. The first thing is that the watchmen are to guard their own heart and their own mind. So each and every one of us, we have to guard our hearts and guard our own mind. Listen, your thoughts control your actions. Your thoughts control your actions. So before you can do a thing, you have to think it. Now, if we could control this this area, this spot right here, uh, we could really have some discipline and we could really have some, some blessing in our lives. Because listen, your thoughts lead to attitudes. Attitudes lead to actions. Action leads to those achievements. So it all begins with the thought life. And your achievements, what you're able to accomplish uh, in this life for the kingdom of God is all predicated on your thought life. I, I heard it said this way, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character, or sow a character and reap a destiny. See, this is fundamental that God, this is so fundamental that we would have dominion or we would have discipline over our thought life. It's so important that God uh, destroyed an entire civilization because they had heart trouble. They had an issue in their heart. Genesis 6, 5 says, and God saw the wickedness of man and, uh, was great on the earth and that, er and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually before God. So the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. I'm going to say that one more time so you can write that down. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Listen to that. The second thing is that watchmen are to guard their families and their homes. And so as watchmen over our families, many times we miss what's going on because we're pursuing our own thing. We're distracted. We're distracted by what uh, our own issues. Okay, man, we're distracted by what's going on in our lives and our and our hurts and our trauma and, and, and those things. We're distracted by our careers. Okay, we're we're pursuing our careers. We're pursuing uh, all, all these different things. We're pursuing education and, and all these things. And I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't pursue those things, but if they're distracting you, if they're consuming you, are they right for you? You have to decide that for yourself. But oftentimes we're distracted by our own busyness that we're asleep at the will. I think about this story, and I'm going to have to summarize it and paraphrase it quickly, but the story in Genesis, and I know I'm in the Old Testament a lot, but just stay with me. The story in, Gen in Genesis about Lot, and if you know the story of Lot and Abram, uh, Lot was Abram's nephew, and uh, and Lot went with Abram on his journey, and as uh, and and as they were going, they found much success. The Bible says they found much success, so much success that it became a problem for them, and they decided to split away. Now, as they decided to split away, Abram uh, took him to a place that they could see this the, the entire region. Okay, so they walk up to this place and they can see this entire region. And Abram graciously and generously tells Lot, pick your spot. 
And, and so Lot is surveying, Lot is looking, he's calculating uh, what is going to be best for him and his family. And he zeroes in on this area, and it's like a paradise. The Bible says it's just like a paradise, that it's flush and green, and there's plenty of water, and, and it, it just looks fantastic, uh, and it looks like the right, uh, the right place for him to settle. Now, as a father of four children, I could, I could understand Lot, okay? So if someone says, hey, pick anywhere uh, that, that you want to settle, that you want to settle your family, uh, uh, just pick it and it's yours. And so uh, as Lot, as the father, I think that he was going through some of the progressions and he's checking the box, you know, uh, th- th- is it right for my children? Do they have, uh, do they have an athletics program, right? Do they, uh, is it the right school district to get them into the, uh, to the four-year college or whatever it is? Uh, how is this going to work out for us in my, in, in my retirement plan? All, all that stuff, Lot is checking all these boxes and so he the bible says that he set his eyes on this beautiful jordan valley and again it was flush it was like paradise uh some some uh the the scripture says that this jordan valley uh it was just like the garden of the lord i mean it was just beautiful and uh uh and and what this place represented was a place that didn't take a whole lot of faith because the water was abundant it wasn't going to take a whole lot of trust in God to bring rain because this place was flush and it was plush and it was, there was abundance there. And, he, and, and I think this, I think that Lot said, I could probably retire there. So Lot had considered every detail. He, he mapped it out. He checked the boxes, every single detail. He, caref- he, he carefully considered the economic factors, but he totally neglected the spiritual dimensions. If you know the Bible, and you know in Genesis 12, 3, that God had promised to bless Abram and others through him as they blessed Abram. And so Lot in this moment separates from the blessing of God. He separates from the blessing of God, and he goes into the Valley of Jordan. Now, many of you may know this or may not know this, but the Valley of Jordan was right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and what happened was, uh, the Bible says that he began to set off in this direction, okay? So I'm not saying that he was, uh, he, he was zeroed in on Sodom and Gomorrah, but he, the Bible says that he was set off into this certain direction. And I want to tell you this. I, I want you to be, uh, be very, very aware of this, that once our direction is set, our destination is determined. I'm going to say that one more time. Once our, dex, our direction is set, our destination is determined. It's only a matter of time. Now, you know how that story plays out. It says that Lot went and he settled in that, in that valley and he settled in a tent. And little by little, he began to get closer and closer to the inner city. He began to allow this foreign ideology to infiltrate his mind. Uh, we, we know that as, as Sodom and Gomorrah was demolished, that Lot's wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. But listen to this. The Bible goes on to say that Lot's children, his daughters, went and had ancestral uh, relationships with, with him. Could it be that they were introduced to this in a foreign place? And I wonder, I wonder how many of us are allowing things to come into our families to expose them to things that are not of God. They're, they're, they're planting seeds and they're planting ideas and they're planting things that seem they seem to be they seem to feel okay but they're in they're in complete contradiction to the word of god once our direction is set our destination is determined what's your direction this tonight 
Is your direction focused on the kingdom of God? Or is your direction set on your career path, on your education path? I think there's some decisions that we have to make. And so I want to get back to our story here. We're talking about being a watchman, and I, I, I believe that Adam was the first watchman that God had established, and we could learn from this. And so uh, back to Genesis 3, I want you to see how although Adam had failed, although Adam had failed, although many of us maybe in times in our lives that we have failed, God graciously sought him. Although Adam failed, although you and I failed, God graciously sought each and every one of us. The Bible says at the moment, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. How foolish does that look? How, just think about that scene. How foolish is that? When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called the man uh, to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid because I was afraid and I was naked. And so there's no mistaking this. This is one of the saddest letdowns in history. Would you agree? This is one of the saddest letdowns in history. Uh, one theologian said, they eat, they expect amazing results, they wait, and there grows on them the sense of shame. How many of you, you saw something and, and uh, you weren't, you, you, had, you had had some direction before you got into this situation and you didn't really listen to that direction, but you just went and you just showed up and you're in this, in this place. And then you start to justify what you, what, what you want, right? We start to justify what we want. And then we finally get that. We finally indulge ourselves in that sin. How quick, how quick does shame come on us? And so they were expecting this great, amazing result and they waited and there, in that moment, shame began to grow on them. See, listen, sin always leads to guilt. Guilt always leads to separation, both between us and God and between us and others. So when they sinned, their conscience was activated. Uh, they, they all of a sudden knew that they were naked, and, and they began to, they were conscious of this, and they began to try to cover themselves up like many of us. Someone has defined the conscience uh, as a false alarm, false alarm, like uh, it's, it's a ringing buzzer going off saying that there's danger. Pastor Omar has talked about this as, as the check engine light where the Holy Spirit is telling you, hey, you gotta, you're due for a checkup, my man. You're due for a maintenance call. Uh, and so really our conscience is, is, this, is this check engine light. And, uh, and it goes off and it's telling us what's going on. It's telling us that we're, we're wrong or we're headed in the wrong direction. And, and uh, for many of us, listen to this, for many of us, we've neglected that, that alarm so long that we don't even hear it anymore. I was telling, I was, I was telling Pastor Omar the other day that I, I was, I, I, as I'm driving, uh, you're supposed to put the seatbelt on, right? And I don't know, I'm not always the quickest to do that, all right? I'm busy. I got things to do. So I, I jump in the car, turn it on, and I, I hit the road, right? And we're going. And this alarm is just beeping like annoying. I can't even, I, I, I can't even do it. But I'm so used to it that I don't even hear it anymore. And so oftentimes when Madison, God bless her, when she's in the car, she says, Dad, you got to put your seatbelt on. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't even hear it. I wonder how many of you 
where the Holy Spirit is setting off fire alarms in your life. And you're, you're so callous. You're so callous to it that you, you don't even hear it anymore. You can't even hear it. You can't even hear it when, when the brother comes to you and says, hey, hey, bro, I think you're going in the wrong direction. You, you, you should probably redirect, right? Or, hey, I don't think, I don't think that relationship is right, man. I, uh, I, I, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. Um, but but we're, we know best, and we just keep on going. Um, and, and so we, we have to be aware. We have to be conscious of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And so in our conscience, as these alarms are going up, listen, listen to what happens. So when, when that alarm goes off, our human tendency is to deal with it just like Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They covered it up as quick as possible. How many of us are covering our tracks and trying to justify and trying to reason and trying to, you know, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Or it's not really what you think, brother. Uh, it, 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 was, it was this other thing. And so uh, we, we see this happen all the time. It separates us from God and it separates us from other people. And so immediately Adam and Eve lost their open relationship. They didn't know that they were naked. I mean, they're in paradise. My goodness. Take me back there. They're, they had not a care in the the world, right? Uh, but all of a sudden, they're awakened to uh, to this nakedness and to this shame. And listen, the fig, the, these fig leaves that they try to like put together. This is a picture of us and our excuses and 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 the things that we come up with to justify what we're doing. It's ridiculous. We try to hide, we're trying to hide from God behind these leaves. It's it's just ridiculous what we try to do. And 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 so what happens from there? Not only does uh, not only are they are they ridiculous and trying to cover it up, but they go on to start to blame. And I'll tell you that blame is the human way to deal with guilt. Oftentimes when we're feeling guilty, we're looking for someone to blame. Like, uh, well, you know, uh, the devil made me do it or, uh, or I'm a product of, of my environment or, uh, you know, I, I didn't know any better. Um, oftentimes blame is the way that we deal with guilt. Now, how, what happens when you blame? Say it again. Come on. What happens when you, when you blame? You be lame. Pastor Omar tells us all the time. When you blame, you be lame. That's like a, it's like a good dad joke there. <laughs> so the way this works is we sin and we know we're guilty, but we rationalize it all. And of course, we don't just blame other people. We don't just blame our wives or our situations, but we even start to blame God. What did Adam say? He said, the woman who you gave me to be with. It's your fault, God. I mean, if she wasn't here, we wouldn't be here. When we blame, <laughs> we're pretty lame. That's right. That's right. And so listen, so God's gracious pursuit, God's gracious pursuit in our failure. The Bible says that even while we were sinners, uh, that Christ came and he died for us. And so God's gracious pursuit, yes, we fail. Yes, we fall short. But God's gracious pursuit is coming after us. And so for us, we may look to hide from God. But listen to this. The relentless, reckless love of God is pursuing each and every one of us. When you fail, when you're running, when you're running from God, the reckless love, the relentless love of God is pursuing after you. God calls to Adam and asks the first question of the Bible. And what is that question? Where are you? If you understand what's going on here, uh, you'll understand that it didn't take very long for God to respond to failure. It was in the same day that they failed that God showed up and asked, where are you? 
I, I believe that this is the grace. This is God's unmerited favor. We're undeserving of a God that would love us, although we fail time and time and time again. God's love continues to, to, to pursue each and every one of us. And so we know that when God asks questions, it's not to gain information. God knew exactly where Adam was. He, it wasn't like he was trying to find him, like turning on his, his location for him. He didn't need that. He knew exactly where Adam was. But he it was asking the question to make Adam think. And this is the, 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 the crux of our entire series is that God is asking questions to make us reflect. And we have to reflect on where we're at. Now, listen to this analogy. Let's say that you had a friend coming to your new house and you were having a housewarming party. And let's pretend like we don't have Waze or Google Maps or something like that, all right? And, uh, and so your friend is coming to your house and for the first time, and he calls and he says that he's lost. He says that, I, I don't know where I'm going, I'm lost. And so we would typically ask, where are you? Now, why is that? Because if he could tell you where he is, then you could tell him how to get to your house. So it's the same way is that we've got to know where we are before we can receive directions to where we need to be. So God comes and asks Adam, where are you? God's questions to Adam told Adam two things. Number one, Adam, you're lost. And number two, I've come to find you. My goodness, is that not the grace of God? Number one, Adam, you're lost. You need help. And number two, I'm here to find you. My goodness. Each and every one of us needs to know the same two things, that we're lost without Christ, but Christ came to seek and save those who are lost. Even in our failure, even in, in the times that we repeat, re, repeat offenders, even in our lostness, Christ is here and seeking us and saving us and wanting to save us. And so listen, before we can be re reconciled to God, we've got to answer for ourselves the question that God's asked Adam, where are you? I, I want you to think about that. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God first and foremost? I think the second question is, where are you in your post as a watchman over your, your heart, your mind, your family, and even the regions or, or the territory that God has set you in to look after? And if the answer is that you're lost, the grace is that God is here to find you. So two things that I want to emphasize, this is in closing, and we can have the worship team come up. The two things that I want to emphasize is the fact that God's pursuit was gracious. God's pursuit was gracious. Why? Because he came looking. If, if God didn't love you, he would have never came looking for you. If God didn't love you, he would have never sent Jesus to die for you, to put you in right standing with God. And so the first thing that I want to emphasize is the fact that God's pursuit was gracious because he came looking for you in the first place. Listen, God could have zapped both of them on the spot and said, redo they failed. They, they didn't do it. We got to try this again. He didn't do that, but God came looking. That very same day that Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking, and that's the pure grace of God. The second thing is this, is God's pursuit was gracious because of his approach when he came looking. What did he do to Adam? He asked Adam a question, and that question was to direct him to, number one, knowing that he's lost, and to, number two, knowing that God was there to reconcile him. 
So he didn't come to Adam yelling at him, telling him how stupid he was for ruining paradise. He would have been justified in doing that. But his approach to Adam was that was one of reconciliation. His approach to Adam was, I'm here, you've, you've fallen, you've failed, you've, you've abandoned your post, but I'm here to restore you. Uh, God, God, God is always chasing after us to reach us. And he's, and he's there to restore Adam into his rightful identity, his rightful position, his rightful post, and ultimately wants to release him to have the expression that God placed in him, the expression to have dominion over the world. And so I, I, want, I want you to consider this question. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you as a husband, as a wife? Where are you as a parent? Where are you as a son or a daughter or, or a student? I think God is asking each and every one of us that same question is, where are you? And the intention always is for you to reflect and then to be reconciled. Every single time that God comes and asks a question, it's always for you to reflect and ultimately for you to be reconciled. And so tonight, I want to I encourage you to think about this and consider this thought. That even though we've fallen, even though we've failed, even though we've come up short, even though we've been lost, even though we've, uh, we've not been ready when called on for duty. In spite of that, God has graciously pursued us. And even tonight, you may be sitting in this place and you may say, you know what, Pastor Isaac, I have failed. I've, I've abandoned my post. I've allowed the enemy to plunder my house. I've allowed the enemy to make havoc of my life. I've failed and I've abandoned my post. And even in that, God is saying, I'm here, and I'm graciously pursuing you to reconcile you. And so tonight, I want you, if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes in reverence to the Holy Spirit. We always want to give an opportunity for those that maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've turned your back on God. Maybe, maybe even as I'm talking, maybe it's your first time here, and you're, you, you don't necessarily understand all the things that I'm talking about. The gospel is simple. It's a simple truth, but it's profound. This is the fact is that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all failed. But the Bible and the hope is this, is that while we were still sinners, that Christ, that, that God sent Christ, his son, into this world for each and every one of us. And all we have to do is accept him as Lord of our life. And the Bible says that if we would do that, that he would come and be Lord of our lives and that we would be set and restored back in right relationship and reconciled to God. And so before I go any further, I want to give an invitation. I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity to get your heart right with God. You see, we have a heart problem. And that's the problem is our human heart. We desire everything but God. We desire all the things that are destroying us. The things that we hate to do, we continue to do it. Paul talks about that. And so tonight, I want to give you an invitation to encounter Christ and to be in right standing with the Lord. God can help you. God can restore. We've seen it time and time and time again. And if God could do it for me, if God could do it for your brothers and your sisters, those that are sitting in this room, believe me, God could do it for you. And so if you're out there and you say, you know what, Pastor Isaac, I, I've, I need to get my life right with the Lord. I, 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 want, I want to get in right standing. I want, to recon, I want to be reconciled to God. If that's you out there, I just want you to lift your hand. We want to pray with you. Anybody at all, just lift your hand. Come on. Come on.
Come on, lift it up high. Come on, be bold. Lift it up high. Come on. We got it. We got an honest heart already. Anybody else? Hands up. Hands up. Hands, hands going up all over the place. Amen. Amen. We're going to wait just a little bit longer. This is the most important part of what we do. When I, when I prepared myself, I, I thought about this. It's, it has nothing to do with preparing a message. It has everything to do with preparing the man, preparing the heart. And that I would, I would be able to deliver a word that would speak to people and that would bring transformation by the, and, 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 and ultimately give glory to God. Anybody else at all? We, we're we're, we're going to take some time here and, and pray. Anybody else at all? Put it up. Come on, just put it up. Several hands already went up. If, if your hand went up, I want you to look at me. I, I, I see you right here. There's several in the back there. If you put your hand up, I'm going to ask you just in this moment, don't even think about it. Just get up and meet me right down here. Come on, just get up. Just get up. Come on. Just get up and meet me right here. All right? Come on. This is not to shame you. Many of us have done the same thing. We made this decision. It's a, it's a public proclamation. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? Come on. We have honest men up here. Yeah. Come on. They're still coming. They're still coming. Yeah, God. Yeah, God wants to. God wants to help you. God wants to strengthen you, guys. I want. I want you to, to pray with them. All right, let's pray with them. All right, just begin to just lead them. Just lead them to the Lord. The sinner's prayer. We want them to lead them in the sinner's prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, church, I, I, I say this often is that we're old school, right? The old school altar calls. But this is where change and transformation happens. I think about the I, I think about that that uh, army private first class, that low ranking officer that had abandoned his post. And one that you would think was insignificant, didn't have a whole lot of responsibility. There were thousands, there were thousands that were at risk of dying. And I consider that, I consider that as a father, I consider that as a leader, I consider that even in my role as a pastor, that if I was to be passive or if if I was to abandon my post, how many people are at risk? How many generations are at risk? And so I believe that tonight God wants to, God wants to call us back into active duty. I believe that God wants to resurrect watchmen, not only uh, of your own life, but watchmen over your families, watchmen over your homes. And so if, if God is speaking to you tonight, I want you to just get out, out, out of your seat and just come up here. Come on. Come on. Just get out of your seat. Come on. Don't think about it. Don't wait for your neighbor to get up. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Just find a place at the altar. I want you just to begin to pray, okay? I'm going to come around and pray for for some of you, but just begin to pray right now. Come on. Begin to repent right now. Just begin to repent. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that would ask you, where are you? And not only that, but would tell you, don't worry, I'm coming. I'm right here. Come on, if if you're out there and you feel like, and you need to be up here, get out of your seat and get up here. Come on. Come on, I believe that God is calling parents, God is calling men, specifically men. God is calling men to not be passive anymore. God is calling men to not allow your wife to be the spiritual leader in your home. God is calling men to lead their family in prayer and devotion. God is calling men to lead in the calling that that he's placed on them.
Come on, come on. There's plenty of room up here. Make, make some room. Come on. Press in a little bit. Press in a little bit. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.